Let's pray. Lord, come, um, be present, uh, reveal yourself to us, we would pray, um, as we start this short series on something close to all of us, uh, money. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, take it and do with it what you would uh, help. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, good morning, um, a short series, good morning, um, short series, Todd Liscom, who is the incoming stewardship chairman next year. He and I were talking, and, 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 and Todd had this idea, which I'm, of course, very keen on supporting uh, for, for lots of reasons. He, he really wants to take, and on the heels of Don and some others, several, several folks, not just Don or anybody else, but to make stewardship, which is, of course, the fancy church word, and that's one of the even things I want to hope to do this morning is begin to unpack some words uh, stewardship, which has this connotation, oh yeah, that's, I think this is what, at least what it feels like to, to, to me and to others. Um, that's the time of the year where the church calls us if we haven't made our pledge yet, whatever that means, or you know, asks us for money, which I get is necessary because it's a half city block, we've got to pay lights and salaries and all that. But, you know, but, and so that's all good. Um, nothing wrong with that. Um, 100% behind it. I mean, that's that's me, by the way. Thank you. Um, but to go a different place, you know, speaking now almost as one who whose salary, whose livelihood um, doesn't come from from all of us, myself included, who who give some of our own money, our talents, as the Bible would call it, to uh, to the church for services. But to try to rethink, you know, what's going on. How is money, and why is it? What is money, and why is it so volatile, and why does it evoke, call forth such, uh, gosh, for lots of people, different things: consternation, um, fear, insecurity, judgment, guilt, uh, memories. Um, a lot of family goes on. We talk talking about money, and even generations past. A lot of books written about that. I spent a lot of time in the counseling office. You know, ferreting that out sometimes when it's appropriate. You know, what is it about money that seems to be such a big deal um, when the Bible actually talks about it all the time and, and in some ways says two things about it? Uh, as Jesus, uh, or really Paul, said, the root, no, the love of money, we'll look at this verse in a little while, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he makes that very specific distinction. Money itself, the material object of that cloth paper that we carry in our wallets, that's not intrinsically evil, but it does have a power. In some ways, sex, money, and time are, are, are some of our currencies. Um, we, we spend, we invest more money in time. Uh, we spend, we invest, we waste. You know, We use the same verbs to describe money and time, and they create all sorts of Emotions and all sorts of behaviors, all sorts of thoughts, you know, are, are you know involuntarily brought out when somebody asks me for money or my time. Really, my time is what I have less of. You know, call me because I'm about to say something. If you, if you need to call me, call me. But you know, what gets me really anxious is when I come in and I've got eight voicemails. You know, and they, everybody, can I just have five? Can I just have, you know, it's all that. I mean, that's that's what I have so little of. That's what we have so little of as a culture. And just, whoop, you know, go straight up. And money has that same, same uh, connotation. So I want to open all that up and try to recast it a little bit and 
uh, begin to unpack, you know, the first part, some of the words like stewardship. What does it mean to be a steward? Uh, offering. Um, the word offering, of course, is a sacrificial word. We don't usually think of that. Because sacrifice has to do with death. So now we're right in, you know, the heart of Christian theology, good heart of Christian theology. When the plate's passing around, are we really supposed to think of like a little coffin going around? Could that be, you know, an appropriate thought? An offering, um, uh, giving, um, a lot of things. And so this is the beginning of a four-part series. Um, I'm glad I drew this card, the who is the who, when we give our money away. Um, the acronym is a, a, something that Todd came up with when he was driving. Um, I think it's who, how, action, and treasure. So Todd will ferret that out. He's going to teach the last week, um, somewhere I think Mother's Day, May 10th. Next week, Craig's going to come and teach, Craig Smalley. Uh, then we're taking a break for confirmation, and then Mark Ginolette's going to take a week. And then, um, as I mentioned, Todd will will uh, we'll back clean up and pull all this together. So four weeks to kind of lean into some of these themes, obviously from four very different voices, and it's and, and kind of held loosely. Um, just thinking about money, thinking about stewardship, thinking about steward, thinking about these words and why they create the behaviors, emotions, thoughts, uh, responses that they do, uh, and why in some ways it gets to be so simple and just saying it's just a part of who we are beneath the living God. So that's my hope, trying to draw out some tension in all this. And in a few minutes, Alan Stringfellow, I've asked him to, on the hot seat to, uh, to come up, and I think each week, um, uh, each one of us, Craig next week, and then uh, Mark and Todd, probably maybe the last one of you, so you can start to be really anxious, uh, uh, to, to, to say just a little bit about how they approach their money and all, but, but uh, wanted to start with a parable. Um, I could pass this around. This is not the parable. These are other scriptures that we're going to be looking at. Um, some of them anyway throughout the day. So if you can take one of those and pass it around. Uh, but even to begin our time, think of a, of a parable, um, the parable of the, of the wicked servant, as it sometimes is called. Uh, and what I want to do, there's a lot of ways to read this parable. Um, I think there's a lot of really wrong ways to read this parable. Um, I'm not going to try to unpack this because I actually want to move pretty quickly. Um, but just to think about who is the who? Actually, a really good question. Who is the who when we give away our money? Now we're going to know, I think. Well, maybe we don't. Maybe we think. We certainly use this language. I'm giving the money to the church. And that's, at one level, of course, entirely correct. Um, both the church in terms of, of, uh, of the, the physical material entity, which is the Cathedral Church of the Advent, 501c3 recognized in the state of Alabama. But there's also the spiritual or theological dimension of one body with many members, the head, the arm, the eyes, the spleen, all those sorts of things, which is we are the church. You know, the old songs that we're giving money in some ways to all of us, um, sort of a common pot. That's true. But who is the who? We start to recognize that um, at a deeper level, we're, of course, giving it to God. I think that's not a lightning bolt to anybody here. But then to begin to pull that out, well, what does that mean exactly? Um, what does it mean to give our money, our talents, as it's called, uh, to God? And so here's a parable where I think like most of the parables, and I've taught on the parables before, you know, as a general principle, which would probably have few exceptions, how do we normally read the parables? We read them as sort of morality, uh, little morality snippets, almost like Jesus' version of Aesop. Um, and so the, 
the fox went away, you know, sort of bitter and sad and just made lemons out of lemonade when life gave him lemons or something like that. That's the wrong way to read the parables. Um, the parables, a lot of times, uh, are, I think, meant to confuse us. <laughs> They're actually meant to turn things on an edge and begin the process of the word beginning to, to interpret us rather than us trying to interpret the word, to try to figure this out. And I think this is a good parable that does that, where it starts to say, well, who is the who? Um, and there's no reference, by the way. Every time I say that in my head, I think, well, i got to do something with the band. You know, well, obviously it's, you know, Keith Moon and John Etwistle and Roger Daltrey, and it's, well, that's, that's the last time I'm going to say that, I hope. Um, who is the who? Who is this king? Um, and see, so I'll know this parable. There's a, uh, there's a king who wants to settle his accounts, and so he pulls in one of his servants who owes him 10,000 talents. This isn't in your hand up. Uh, 10,000 talents. You know, it's really even hard to understand what a talent is. At first, it was a unit of, of weight. I think it weighed like 80 pounds or something like that. Um, but then it became a way of measuring currency. And if I remember right, I didn't really do a lot of work on this. Um, I think 10,000 was the, the, the uh, in the time they were writing this in the Greek, the Koine Greek, that was the the highest numerical figure that they, they had to kind of make a little figure represent it. And so it's basically like an infinity sign. Um, and Jesus is using great irony here. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say um, there once was a servant who owed 10,000 talents. It's like somebody coming up in third grade. is like, okay, so there's this guy who owned a million, trillion, gazillion, billion, jillion dollars. You know, and it's just, you know, okay, this huge sum. You know, we're talking gross domestic product kind of number. And he goes to the king. I'll tell you what he's going to do, and then I'm going to read it. Um, and the king uh, has a very strange response. At first he says, um, settle up. Um, and then the man, not unlike the prodigal son, the lost son, the younger son, comes up with this little speech. You know, uh, the younger son says, what am I doing here in this pigsty? I can do better than this. I'm a Jew eating pig's food. I mean, that's this is like below low. And so the prodigal son says, uh, I know, I'll go to my father and I'll have this little speech prepared. And said, father, you know, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be as one of your hired servants, because at least I would have a meal in a cot. And so he goes and and. Uh, 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 he does, and the, the prodigal doesn't even get to rehearse his little speech. The wicked servant has a similar little speech. He says, um, you know, have mercy on me, and I'll repay everything I owe. You know, what a stupid thing to say. But, of course, it's totally understandable. He's scared witless. Uh, and so he makes this rash statement. I'll repay a million, zillion, gajillion, billion dollars. And he actually thinks that he changed the king's mind because the king had mercy on him and, uh, and forgave the debt right there. Because it's right on the heels of forgiveness. And forgiveness has a very you know, specific, it's a financial term, which is now in the New Testament moving into, again, a term which denotes death. Uh, and then something happens. So here's the, here's the little parable. This is just a way to kind of warm it up for Alan. Therefore, and Jesus is tying it to forgiveness, because this is right after where Peter says, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should I forgive him seven times? And Peter's like, come on, I'm so magnanimous. He's looking for this, oh, Peter, you're such a good man. Yes, that's really great. 
And he goes, Peter, 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 Peter. No, 70 times 7. Um, or might, some might even say, you know, 70 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 7. It just keeps going ad infinitum. And Peter's totally upended. I mean, probably, I don't think it's too, too far reached to see that Jesus is looking at Peter. And Peter's like, what? And so he tells him this story. Therefore, tying it to forgiveness, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So this is the way God works. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. And right there, because we're asking, who is the who? Uh, I think I want to pull Paul in here, where Paul had his great turning point when he realized that a righteousness, did Luther, um, that a righteousness apart from the law was revealed. There was a way which was known and accepted and in fact common to every human being who ever lived. This is the way you settle an account. How do you settle an account? You take what you owe and you pay it. <laughs> That's a good way to settle an account. I owe Jim a dollar six. I pay him a dollar six or maybe a dollar ten with interest. That's how you settle an account. But now, because that's always a great word in the New Testament, but now a righteousness, a way of making things right, of reconciling accounts, of pulling the debits and credits to zero, apart from everything we've ever known, is beginning to be known. Because who is the who? It's by no means assumed that we should know the answer to that question. It is not what four out of five dentists would just automatically realize, oh, I know who God is. I know exactly who the who is. Really? Who is the who? I mean, who is God? Who is this, by definition, this inscrutable, incomprehensible, inestimable, boundless deity? Who, who am I beneath? Who am I beholden to? Who do I owe an account to? There's a lot of tension in that question. Who is the who? Unless he begins to do something, we're really, we're really where the parable is. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts. The king could just say, pay everything, or uh, uh, wish to, pay, to settle his accounts with his servants. So when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So in other words, let me liquidate you and your entire estate, including your, your whole family, because that would be common practice there. Sell them into slavery, liquidate everything. Let me at least make a dent in this million, zillion, gajillion dollars. But then the servant fell on his knees, imploring him with this little speech, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the story takes a different tone. Um, there's a great word that's used a few times. It's one of my favorite words. I don't speak Greek, but I can go in and look at it and all that. And I'm familiar with this word, splagna. It means in his bowels, right down to the spleen. Um, it's right there in the seat of his being. And Jesus experiences this several times. You ever have that move where it's just all of a sudden like right down there at the core? You get that really bad news or that really good news. And it turns you, you know, the whole inside out part. Um, and that's where it is, right here. And everybody, everybody there would know this word. And out of pity, splagna, and out of this movement to the core of who he is, the king, uh, 
the master of that servant released him and forgave him. Zero. Right there. A righteousness, a reconciliation apart from all that we've known. Uh, so let me stop. Even there, I'm going to say, I'm going to set this up and then we're going to follow this later after Alan. I think there's a precursor to death here. This idea of, of forgiveness, which now we pull in the weight of the New Testament. That, that forgiveness, which is only known through the death of Christ. And, and this is the Bible speaking to itself. Uh, even there, the king absorbs a cost. It's a real cost. Uh, has to absorb, in business terms, I guess we might call an opportunity cost. An opportunity lost. Real value lost. But he absorbs that. Takes it into himself. Uh, moved to his inner, to, to, down to the core of his being. To his spleen. To his plagna. To his bowels. Uh, right into the guts. Turns it all inside out was pierced for this servant, poured out, as it were, and allowed that to be recompense. Took the reconciliation to zero. All that's right here, or it's prefigured anyway, in, um, in the beginning of this, uh, this little place. And so then, let me just punchline this and give it to Alan. And then we know what the servant did, right? So then he's forgiven all of this, and he goes out, and he sees like an old high school friend. And he says, hey, I bought you tater tots when we were in 11th grade. Pay me money. You know, you owe me a dollar fourteen. He says, dude, I'm sorry. I'll get it. I'll have it on me right now. So he throws him in prison, grabs him by his throat, throws him in prison until he could pay. And other people looked at him and says, what? You know, they go back to the king and says, you just gave, forgave this guy all that. And he's holding this old debt from high school for a dollar, you know, twenty. And he's thrown him in prison. And so he pulls him back in there. And so everybody there would say, okay, that wouldn't happen. That's impossible. Who is this king who's putting this kind of, of, of division in front of us? And that's what I want to sort of pick up in a minute when I talk about that kind of division. It's very bipolar, if you will. One pole and then another. You know, an infinite amount of money to the smallest of old debts. And he's putting those in a very sort of black and white way to try to draw us out and reveal ourselves to him. So now, let me hit pause. Um, Alan, an old friend of mine, I asked him to come up and, uh, and uh, take the floor as long as he wants. He's going to sort of splagna all over us, I think. So, <laughs> so Alan, you want to come? So, you don't want to, but you did Not that. Really. So, I called him on Monday and he was like, sure, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? And I was like, you're such a good man. So I didn't even ask him what he wants yet. So, and he's, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? So, Thanks, Alan. I appreciate yeah, it. I don't so, even really know what I'm going to say. That's all right. So, um, so Gil posed some good questions to me. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, well, just whatever you want to say, basically. But he posed a couple of good questions that I kind of ran with. Was uh, One, you know, how, what's your process of giving? How do you decide to give? Do you see yourself as a lifelong advent that's doing stewardship thing, giving regularly, and how did you come to do that? And, and the answer to all that's no, and yes as well. But, um, giving for us, for Amanda and I, is um, it's something we just I've been taught to do since I was a child and raised that way, and it's always been easy because. We're fortunate enough to have a little money to give, and then again, it's hard because we're living like 
probably 90% of everybody pays pay taxes. There's a lot of hands out for every dollar we have. Uh, and it goes to a lot of different, you know, school, tuition, cars, everything. So, you know, our process for the first 10 years of, or nine years of our marriage was, uh, let's look at the end of the year and see what we have left after we pay taxes and everything. And then we'll decide, oh, we're gonna give what's left, what we think we can afford to give. And then we would base it, and this is this is early on, not any longer, but we would base it on, like Gil said, we would take account, okay, accounts, settle our accounts. Okay, well, we have three children in Sunday school, so let's give this much to the nursery. Let's, we've gotten, you know, it's a quid pro quo kind of deal where, you know, what have we gotten out of this and who do we have? Um, and we did that for a long time and it was easy because we got in a habit. <clears throat> right or wrong, I mean, probably just wrong way to think about keeping a stewardship, obviously. Um, but then this recently, uh, we were in a situation and, uh, and and came to the time to donate. Somebody asked for a pretty sizable do donation in, in my terms. And I said, sure, yeah, let's do it. Um, and, you know, the first thing that crossed my mind is, oh, well, I can get a tax write-off for this. And, run through my work or whatever and here's what I'm going to get out of it and I went and proposed this to my father who I work for and he's like Alan you're looking at this the wrong way hmm. he said you he said you need to give not expecting anything in return he said you need to give out the glass to your car because if you expect something in return you're always going to get and I sat on that for before I wrote this check because I was ready to write checks like okay here's what I'm going to do and, I, and that really took me back, and it was a, a real learning moment in my life. Um, so I sat on it for two months, and I was like, you know, I'm not gonna write this check, expecting anything to return. I had to pray about it for a long time, for those two months, I and mean, this is very recently. And finally, I just, the Lord spoke to me, it's like, changed my heart as far as giving. You know, he changed my heart to say, I don't expect anything to return, and none of us should. But it took me 10 years to <clears throat> and hopefully all y'all passed all that. <laughs> Obviously, I've been there and done that. So that was just, it was a real learning moment in my life. So now I think I can gladly write checks and never have to expect anything or return. That's, he's laid that on my heart. And Amen. It's been a, been a godsend. Amen. So, Up into the quid pro quo where there's no right. risk for that. No, so, yeah. no, no yeah. risk for that. Yeah. So. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Very much. So generous man so but he's not here so he can't hear me say that thank you very much Alan I'll probably work that in a little bit um, so I wanted to go into the text put a lot of them out here we're not going to go through all that um, but even just putting some some words out there as you kind of turn into the text um, stewardship what does it mean what, what is a steward you might know so let's go to just go to almost Miriam Webster and let's just what does that word mean I think I know but maybe I don't know what's a steward What's that? A manager. Yeah, it's a common word that we would use. Um, we don't. What's that? Guardian. Kind of like guardian, almost a guardian ad litem or something like that. Um, I mean, using that word correctly, Shannon, would that be right? So, um, so a caretaker. Yeah. So it's a person um, who, a guardian, a caretaker, a manager, who oversees the resources that aren't their own, somebody else's. Um, they're not his or hers. 
but they have responsibility for them. And so stewardship, this caring for uh, or the administration of somebody else's resources. And then an offering. We make an offering. It doesn't have to be have that death connotation, but it certainly certainly can have it and even should have it a lot of times. We make an offering, and it can be an offering that doesn't involve death, so to speak, but it's definitely about sacrifice, um, at least in the biblical use of the word. You make an offering to... Uh, to, to the Lord, uh, you make an offering to another, and it's a, a a gift without expectation of return, a first fruit, not at the end of the year. At least that's how the Scripture speaks of it, where you offer something of yourself, and there's a cost that's involved there, certainly. Um, and then a pledge, promise. Now we're pulling some gospel words. Um, to make a pledge is a promissory note, a promise to uh, to be present at some point in the future and fulfill a debt as the Lord would allow it. Um, uh, so I just want to put those words out there because I may try to work them in as I move forward. And so we come into some basic division work. Like I said earlier, that the people who would hear the parable of the wicked servant would would know it's like that's just not the way it would go. If this guy got forgiven all that and then hold this 14-year-old debt from you know for a for a penny, uh, and he says, "I know. Get to know me. Um, who is the who?" And so we come in here to First Chronicles. 29. Not a book I spend a lot of time in, by the way. Um, but we say this all the time. One of our offertory sentences, all things come from thee, O Lord. Um, I love to always take the opportunity to say the prayer book, although you know, certainly in different iterations and all that, it's got its problems. But when it's done well, it's the Bible arranged for worship. I don't know who said that, but uh, it just drips with Scripture. Um, and we don't even know it. So out of 1 Chronicles 29, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God and Father of Israel, forever, sorry, let me find my note, um, forever and ever. Yours, listen to emphasis on you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule above all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is great to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should thus be able to offer willingly for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as our fathers were. Um, you are all of this, but who am I? So this basic division, who is the who? Um, who is the who to whom we give, and who is the who that gives? Um, all things come from you, O Lord. Really? Do we, do we believe? You know, this is the division work. Where the word has to do its work. This is right down to the bottom. You don't have to buy into this, by the way. Um, in fact, I would say, absent of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't. You know, one of the great heroes, the living heroes, at least in my life, Fitzsimmons Allison, um, he called it, this world is all there is-ism. Um, you know, that is an allergy that we all have, that I have very much, let me put it that way. Um, uh, this world is all, we can go into there so quickly. As we are original sin positive, Frank's old language you know, what's the great symptom of original sin positivity? Uh, amnesia. I forget so quickly, so quickly, like a man concussed. Uh, whose is this? 
it's not an assumption. Who is the who and whose stuff am I giving away? Um, do I belong to myself or do I belong to another? Do I possess anything? Can I really say it's my house, my children, my money, my talents? Do I really believe that all things come from you, O Lord, and of, my, of your own I've given you back? Or is it more like a lease? Is it something like, I am a steward of my children? There's actually a great amount of freedom in that. That's a little nugget tucked away. It's like, oh good, they're not mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you gave them. Um, there really is some freedom in that. Um, and there's some freedom. It's like, it's not my money. Um, you know, to move that away. But you gotta, we've got to have this basic division work thrust on us, I think, to really come to these sort of decisions. Um, is this world all there is, both in the 70-so years that we have now, it's 80, um, uh, for most of us, uh, or is there another? Is there something else? Um, these are fundamental, basic division questions that are not to be assumed. Um, and First Chronicles really brings that up. Who is the who? And then, in fact, in response to that, well, then, who am I, this stranger and sojourner? And that took me to Psalm 116. Um, I think the response there initially, it almost became like an ordus salutis, um, an order of salvation in the way I was thinking about these things. Uh, the response there, when that basic division becomes clarified, you know, a little bit of what Alan just bravely got up and told us in his two months of prayer, begins to come to this point um, where uh, the psalmist would say, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? All those emphasis on yours is the power and the greatness and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For yours is the kingdom and you are exalted above all. Well, then who am I that you would remember me? As he says elsewhere in the Psalms. And here in Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. For those of y'all who care, this was the little prayer that Brano said um, in the tour right after 9-11, um, right as where the streets have no name were starting. He would stand out there at the tip of the heart. You know, this multi-billionaire uh, who, uh, who I think is a, a deep Christian, in fact. And he's there with his, uh, his hands down uh, and then he goes up and he says this prayer straight out of the Psalms. I just I find it very moving because of a little bit of hero worship, of course, but he's right there. He realizes, I've got all of this. And what shall I render to you as all of this just comes for no reason except that I screech in front of millions and millions and millions of people and they seem to care? Uh, that's a response of just gratitude and relationship. A proper relationship begins to be known. But then... Uh, sin comes back in. This is where it's kind of this is order almost. Um, and so going down, skipping uh, James, going down to Deuteronomy 8, um, very similar to the way that Jesus in Mark 13 and elsewhere will say, I say to you, I say to all, watch, be on guard, watch, do not fall asleep at the wheel. Um, uh, do not, you know, as he describes each one of us, as we do fall asleep at the wheel, as we do fall asleep in the garden, could you not watch for but an hour, he said to the three, three times. Uh, here in Deuteronomy, we're finding that same word. Take care, watch, be on your guard, intentionally uh, uh, stay alert to this, lest you forget the amnesia which comes in our original sin positivity, 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and sit on your couch and watch your big screen TV and Alabama's doing great and everything's just fat, dumb, and happy, watch when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty grounds where there was no water, and who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you and do to you good to the end. Lest Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power, hear the difference between yours is the power, My power, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers. The word here, if it's doing its operation, is just to do that basic division work in restoring us to truth, to reality. What do I really believe about this world? Is this world all there is, or is there something else? Whose is it? To whom do I belong? Have I been bought with a price? So all this, of course, in our sinfulness, we lapse unavoidably to Peter, James, and Paul. And we do, we fall asleep, even in the garden. It says, watch with me. My sorrow is, uh, uh, is so great. Will you just watch and share my sorrow as I pray, Jesus said in Gethsemane. And they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. It wasn't in them. It's not in us the word calls us back to being remembered. And so then we come into this little, um, this give and this take, this lapsing to forgetfulness, um, but this constant restoring to a relationship of dependency and response. That is, we know our dependency, that yours is the power and the might and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That now our response, the root of responsibility, I have a responsibility to give what I've been given. Well, yeah, but we usually hear it that way. Rather than it's like, I have the ability to respond, to give that which I've been given. To say, look, all of this isn't mine anyway. To give as an aspect of my recognition of the tension that I know in myself of why I forget so often and live my life as if there is no God 98.76% of the time. And then I remember better than I am remembered by God and I'm put back together and I'm turned back to him. I'm like, oh yeah, wait. All things come from thee, O Lord. Which then takes us to this place of uh, where I wanted to end. So really, all things, and here's where it gets you know, really heavy, I think, but I think the rich part of, of how do we know who the who is um, especially in terms of stewardship. All things come from you, O Lord. Uh, well, we talked about you know, wealth and nice TVs to watch good football teams, etc. and so forth. What about those other seasons where it's not so great? Um, all things come from thee, O Lord. Famine, nakedness, peril, sword. What about those? Um, and the word sometimes, sometimes, has a, has a lot to say about this. Um, let's look at, a, say, Job, top of the second page. 
Job, obviously, at the very beginning, Job 1, where everything's being systematically stripped from him. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We talk about blessed be the name of the Lord. When we, when we bless the name of the Lord, what does that mean? Um, this is way oversimplifying, but it's basically saying, The Lord is good. It's just saying good. To bless is to say this is good. And he's saying God is still good. How? I have no idea. At this point, I hope in our tension, in this little order that I'm trying to draw us in, we're asking the question, who is the who? And we really don't have any definition yet. We just know that there's this God out there who's giving all things. And when things are going well, although we lapse into forgetfulness all the time, we can sometimes be awakened and remember, oh yeah, and then at least in theory, give back to him what he gave to me because it was never mine in the first place. Now, that's a good theory, but it's really kind of hard to do. At least it is for me. We're starting to go into this, but, but if God is so far is just that God out there, and as Alan helped us and say, and it's not sort of a quid pro quo relationship of a this for that, well, all I'm doing is returning to God for services rendered, uh, sort of to settle an account, you know, according to the law, according to the way things naturally go. Uh, what about all this? The Lord give and the Lord has taken. Um, or maybe out of Romans 14, great words from our burial service. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Against, you know, this world is all there is, ism. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. So to whom do we belong? Still this bifurcation of who is the who. Well, we know that God, or do we? For we brought nothing from 1 Timothy into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those, we desire, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. It's actually misplaced. I want to say that right now. Um, but, but, you know, for we brought nothing in, we bring nothing out. Um, who is the who? Um, and then the Lamentations, Isaiah, Amos. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that the good and bad come? For I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Uh, does a disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it. All things come from thee, O Lord. So what can we know about God? Um, who is the who? Uh, think about stewardship. Ashley Null, who's been here several times, he likes this phrase, and now I do. God, amongst many other things, is a great steward of pain. God, among many other things, is a great steward, uh, steward of our suffering, of my suffering. Um, he holds it, and he manages it. He administers it. Um, he might even, this is a word about suffering for those who aren't suffering. This isn't a good word in the midst of suffering, uh, but it's still true. Uh, the Lord is present in the midst of all that. All things come. Now, does that mean he causes it? You know, we're not quite there. 
Um, the word doesn't have to extend some sort of puppeteering and all that stuff. But he's present. He came into the world to fill the entirety of the world and its experience, including suffering, with his presence, with his redemptive presence. God is a good steward of our pain. So let me try to wrap up. To what extent, to the extent that uh, we're thinking about all things and how we're going to do something with our money and who is the who, we find an answer to the question, who is the God that we're giving our money to? Not from Job or not from Lamentations or not from Deuteronomy or not even from First Chronicles. All things come from thee, O Lord, and of our own have we given thee. We need to have more than that. Because that's really sort of the indefinite article. That's almost like Paul walking into the Areopagus saying, I can see that you're religious because here's something to an unknown God. A God. You know, we're going to give our money quid pro quo to a God. Yes, I would suggest that's a good, you know, idea. Let's go ahead and hedge our bets and, and placate and respond and quid pro quo and do all we can to settle accounts. And I would, in fact, admonish all of us to pay more attention to that if a God is out there and he's trying to settle accounts. But if that indefinite article A moves to the definite and very particular article the, where God, the unknowable, incomprehensible king, that you hear the parable of the wicked servants and you go, what? Starts to become known in a very particular way. The incomprehensible becomes comprehensible. And the, the abstract, sort of absolute, out there God limits himself and takes the form of a servant and a child, a helpless, defenseless, vulnerable human, and then lives and dies among us uh, as one of us, bearing the sins of the world in his body so that we would be free. If that God becomes particularly known in that way, well, then the impersonal it moves to the very personal uh, for us that we know as Abba. Who is the who that we give our money away to? It's not the church. It's not God of quid pro quo who wants to settle accounts. But it's the one who is a steward of pain. His own pain, the suffering God. That's kind of an edge that a lot of people disagree with. Of, uh, of the one who, in the middle of his bowels, feels mercy for sinners. And who demonstrates his love uh, who demonstrates his glory and his power and his majesty and his might by loving those that are unworthy. If that God becomes known, well, then our response becomes different. Let me just stop there. Um, leave time for maybe a minute or two of a, of a question. I'm just trying to set some tension for the series. Who is the who? Um, not a God out there. Not a God who, uh, who we owe something to. Well, it's only right that I give a little bit to something that gives me so much, but who, uh, whose glory is to love the unworthy. Uh, what might that look like? Well, anyway, say something if you want. What's stirred? Question? Yeah. Uh, all the radio preachers, some are very good, some aren't. But every single one of them, twice during the program, somebody asked for money. Sure. And it brings up the question, if you want to give money to God, how does one decide who represents God? It's a great question. 
But my response, I think it's a great question. It's not immediately obvious that the only way to give to God is the church. I mean, I'll say that, and I work for the church. Um, uh, it's a good way, but it's not the only way. I think you're right. Um, yeah, Jim? And listen, you talk, it struck me that uh, stewardship is paradoxical in that God doesn't need our money. That's right. The ability to give money to God is actually a gift to us. Keeps the right relationship there, doesn't it? So that's right. It's a responding to that which already is. That's a dependent relationship. That's right. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, Frank. The puppeteer uh, analogy today, was it the what was did he say what was meant for sin God turned for good? That's right. That's um, out of Genesis 50. What, what God intended for what you intended for evil, God meant for good. Good steward of pain, of Joseph's pain and suffering. Something like that, um, and it's admittedly it's you get into really difficult but needed waters to think. Well, then how do I start to make sense of suffering and pain and privation and want and disappointment and and need? Uh, we fly to the cross. I mean, it really is the answer. I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Stewardship is about an identity somewhere hidden in the cross where if it's true that as the unknowable God became known, the unknowable God speaking um, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, uh, and the unknowable God limits himself and became known in a very particular way in Christ Jesus and him crucified, our giving, just as we do, who am I, and whom our giving takes a totally different identity. Um, I think that's true. It become our giving as God is a steward of our pain. And in fact, stewardship really has so little to do about us. It's not really my stewardship of God's resources. In some ways, his own stewardship of his own resources. And where's the me in all this? You know, pretty distant. <laughs> it's not really around. So, yeah. We, Mm-hmm. And that when when that gives when we give in to our desires, I'm trying to remember it first, right, right. Then then that's when we sin, and that's when sin is birth. And so and there it says God doesn't tempt anyone. So that kind of wrestles. Sure, sure. Um, we could say we'll wrap up. Uh, I mean, traditionally, there are six enemies of God. How about that? I've said this before. The world, the flesh, the devil, the law, which is really interesting because it's, he's, it's his law. Um, uh, the law, the world, the flesh, the devil, the law, sin, and death. And so in those things, those are the mechanisms for evil, for suffering, for, for want. Um, and that God, to deliver us from, to deliver us from all that, 
I just had a whole other class that I wanted to teach. It just popped into my head. Um, deliver us from all of that. Uh, he came. Um, that's what it was all about. Um, so that, anyway, there's a lot to say. I like just the tension. In a lot of ways, I just love to kind of people walk out kind of tense. I'm pleased. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord, so in that vein, speak and continue your word. Uh, not only in the next three weeks, but um, just the next couple hours. Lord, if you would have anything in this word, speak and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.